A fortress around the Capitol once again. The lead starts right now. The fencing is back up, the National Guard is activated, and President Trump is sending support to insurrectionists. The fears of a January 6th, 2.0. Two murders, a hitman and a dead housekeeper. The prominent South Carolina lawyer arrested for arranging his own shooting and appearing in court any minute now. Plus, President Biden up against his own party when it comes to his agenda and Nicki Minaj when it comes to COVID. How the White House is now involved. Up ahead. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Pamela Brown in for Jake Tapper, and we start with the national lead. And any minute, we expect the first court appearance for the prominent South Carolina lawyer at the center of a series of family tragedies. Alex Murdoch is now in custody after turning himself in today at the Hampton County Jail. Someone shot and killed his wife and son back in June. But it's not that case that has him behind bars. Murdoch's attorney admits his client hired a hitman to shoot him in the head so his surviving son could collect $10 million in life insurance. But that murder plot failed, and the alleged setup is not even half the story. CNN's Martin Savage starts us off from Hampton County, South Carolina. His life in a scandalous spiral. Prominent South Carolina attorney Alex Murdoch surrendering to law enforcement to face charges in an alleged murder-for-hire scheme in which he was the target. A warrant for his arrest detailed the botched murder attempt that was meant to provide his son millions of dollars of life insurance money, attorneys say. According to court documents, Murdoch arranged for Curtis Smith, a former client, to shoot and kill him. But the plan failed because the shot wasn't fatal. Smith has been charged with assisted suicide, assault and battery, pointing and presenting a firearm, insurance fraud, and conspiracy to commit insurance fraud. So far, he's not entered a plea and has asked for a court-appointed attorney. And now, another twist. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division announcing the opening of another investigation involving the Murdochs. The 2018 death of the family's longtime housekeeper, Gloria Satterfield, who died in what was described as a trip-and-fall accident on the Murdoch property. It was Alec Murdoch who told the story of that she had tripped and fell down the stairs over his dogs. And so they, they trusted him. At the time, her death was said due to natural causes. But Hampton County Coroner Angela Topper told investigators in a letter the decedent's death was not reported to the coroner at the time, nor was an autopsy performed. On the death certificate, the manner of death was ruled natural, which is inconsistent with injuries sustained in a trip-and-fall accident. In court filings, the Satterfield family says they reached a partial settlement with Murdoch for wrongful death. But they say they never received the money they say they were due. Eric Bland is the Satterfield's family attorney. He hand-walked in to his best friend and college roommate to bring a lawsuit against himself on behalf of the estate. Now, you know, as a lawyer 33 years, I've never heard that, where you encourage somebody and take them to a lawyer who you handpick, and then have that lawyer bring claims against you. This new development in Satterfield's death, as Alex Murdoch was already struggling with the unsolved murders of his wife and son in June. Allegations that he stole money from his family's law firm and his own admission of a decades-long opioid addiction. All of this playing out in a very public downfall. And Pamela, going on right now is a bond hearing inside of the building. 
What is going to be determined here, and we're not sure if Alex Murdoch is going to speak or even address the charges of this insurance fraud allegation that's been made against him, but it's quite possible he could get bond. Certainly his attorneys anticipate that, and he could be out there, out on the street again very quickly. It would allow him to return to the drug rehabilitation program he is now under for his opioid addiction. But still, the many threads for investigators to follow. So many things they still need to know, not the least of which is who killed Alex Murdoch's wife and son and why. Pamela? Those are the key questions. Martin Savage, thank you so much. From rainy Hampton County, South Carolina. Now I want to bring in Susan Williams. She's a criminal defense attorney and the former assistant state prosecutor in South Carolina. Susan, great to have you on. So Murdoch turned himself in more than 24 hours after his attorney predicted he would. Why wasn't he arrested once it became clear to authorities he was involved in this life insurance scheme? I think the hesitation in the arrest could be that his attorneys were arranging possibly him turning himself in. Okay, so let's just look at the larger picture here, Susan. There are now five deadly cases tied to the Murdoch family. There's the reopen 2015 hit and run case that killed a teen in 2018. A housekeeper dies in the Murdoch family home. There is that 2019 boating crash involving Murdoch's son, Paul, that killed a young girl. And then this past June, Paul is shot and killed with his mother, Margaret. And this is all before Alex Murdoch hired the alleged hitman a few weeks ago. What do you make of all of these connections? So I want to go back and, and make just one small correction. It was actually Stephen Smith, the, the young teen, was in 2015. What I make of it is a lot of dead bodies that are in some way associated to the Murdoch family. And what's troubling to me is that uh, what I hate about this is that these are real deaths, the ones that we just mentioned. And mm -hmm. Alec is playing games, faking his death, blaming it on opioids, which, by the way, is not a defense. And these people have friends and family that are still grieving them. And these are real deaths, real people. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, we did say it correctly. It was 2015. That was the first thing that we noted on there. But the attorney representing the estate of the housekeeper who died in 2018 told CNN, Alex Murdoch still has the influence over the prosecutor's office in Hampton County. Let's take a listen to that. He's also a uh, part-time solicitor. If he decides he wants to be on the prosecution side, he walks into an office. He handpicked his select his. Uh, successor Duffy Stone, who was a class state, classmate of mine, a very good attorney. But don't don't kid yourself. This is a Murdoch office. Murdoch's father and grandfather prosecutors in the same office now handling Alex Murdoch's case. I mean, given this history, do you expect this case to be moved out of this jurisdiction? Well, we know the attorney general's office is handling this case as opposed to the Hampton County Solicitor's Office, which is like the district attorney's office in other states. So, you know, I believe that that portion, the, who, who the prosecutor is, has been cleared up. Uh, the jurisdiction, that would be something that his lawyers would make some kind of motion to change jurisdiction if they believe that is necessary. But I, I think having the attorney general handle this rather than the solicitor. I mean, the solicitor's already 
uh, bowed out of this, has recused himself after consulting ethics professionals. So I believe that, that it's heading in the right direction. So you have Murdoch's attorney insisting that his client did not kill his wife and son and believes a suspect will be revealed soon. And he said this appears to be, quote, personal. Do you see a strategy in saying that in an interview on national TV? I do see a strategy in that, and that is it's making them sound like they're in control of the prosecution. I mean, he 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 does say it with a caveat. Dick Harpootlian, who is Alex's attorney, does say it with a caveat in that he says, we're not the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, but it's kind of like, hey, we're, we're the ones driving this. And I think that that's, you know, a, a point that he wanted to make on national TV when the reality is South Carolina Law Enforcement Division or other investigating agencies are the ones who are investigating. And then explaining away the hiring of the hitman, because that's a whole other part of this web, right? Murdoch's attorney blames others for feeding his clients opioid addiction for the last 20 years. The attorney said in the statement, quote, one of those individuals took advantage of his mental illness and agreed to take Alex's life by shooting him in the head. Do you think Murdoch's team is trying to blame his drug use to build up some kind of mental health or insanity play here? I believe that Murdoch's defense team is doing everything they can to make Alec appear to be a victim. Alec ingested these drugs voluntarily. No one made him do it. And they are trying to provide some type of mitigation, but it is not a defense. Opioid uh, addiction is, is a very serious thing, but not a defense uh, to criminal offenses. I also noticed that they said the hitman didn't even try to stop Alec. Uh, from shooting him. The hit, the hitman, which, by the way, was not a very good uh, sh- shot, uh, could not, for the life of him, no pun intended, kill Alec Murdoff. I, I, I don't understand how all of these things could, everything seems to be someone else's fault. Yeah, I mean, just bizarre, at the very least. Susan Williams, thank you for providing your analysis for us. And law enforcement is bracing for violence at the U.S. Capitol as former President Donald Trump sends a message of support to insurrectionists. Plus, one source tells CNN it's crisis after crisis at Homeland Security. At the same time, the department is faced with infighting and top officials heading for the exits. The details just ahead. Stay with us. And our politics lead, fencing around the U.S. Capitol building is back up and local airports are bulking up security, all ahead of a right-wing protest planned for this Saturday. The event is called Justice for J6, organized by a former Donald Trump campaign staffer in support of the insurrectionist charged in the deadly January 6th Capitol riot. Now, with CNN's Ryan Nobles reports, the Department of Homeland Security is warning local officials there might be violence the day before the rally. It is a sign of the times. Workers quickly erecting a massive temporary fence around the United States Capitol, turning what was once the most accessible and public landmark in Washington into an impenetrable fortress, all for a rally this Saturday that organizers concede might not even draw 1,000 people. The official number we put down is 700. 
The intense security posture is the byproduct of the very event these protesters are coming to Washington for. The January 6th insurrection, something security officials did not see coming and were unprepared to handle. They've promised Capitol Hill leadership that this time things will be different. We just uh, briefed them about the um, demonstration that's scheduled for uh, September 18th, just uh, the intelligence information that we're aware of and, and a little bit about our operational plan, about what we plan to do. The Capitol Police are not taking any chances, in part because this group is coming to call for the release of hundreds of people charged with their role on that deadly day. The TSA is ramping up security at airports. The National Guard and local D.C. police have been asked to be on standby. There are worries some of the protesters may be armed could be inspired by GOP lawmakers like Paul Gosar, Matt Gates, and Andrew Clyde, who despite being among those under attack on January 6th, now empathize with the rioters. This overthrows the government fetish that exists. I don't understand it, except there's a lot of bored people out there that probably never served a day in their life in the military and get to go play dress up. Not one sitting Republican member of Congress is scheduled to attend. A few GOP candidates challenging Republicans who voted to impeach Trump will be there. And one congressman, Ralph Norman, will speak at an event hundreds of miles away in his home state of South Carolina. Still, that is not enough for some in Congress who believe both Republicans and Democrats should be speaking with a common voice and denouncing those who seek to excuse the conduct of those who participated in the January 6th riot. I think the Capitol will be protected. Uh, but I, I find it, um, any elected official that doesn't call out and denounce these protesters tomorrow, I think does a great disservice to our country. And one person not expected to play a role at this event on Saturday is the former president, Donald Trump. He will not be in attendance, but he issued a statement today offering support for those who have been arrested for their role in the January 6th insurrection, saying that they are being uh, subject to what he called a two-tiered justice system. And he also said, quote, that our hearts and minds are with the people being persecuted so unfairly relating to the January 6th protest concerning the rigged presidential election. Once again, Pam, the former president peddling this big lie about the election results. That's part of why law enforcement are so concerned about what could happen here. This is just stoking the tensions on what it is already a day that has them concerned. Pam? It absolutely is. Ryan Nobles, thank you very much. And let's discuss with Jonathan Blackrose, CNN law enforcement analyst and former Secret Service agent. Jonathan, nice to see you. So DHS today is warning about violence the day before the rally. How concerned are you that this could get out of control? Well, listen, any time that DHS puts out uh, a warning, uh, like any law enforcement entity, you have to action off of it, right? So what they're actually looking at right now is current intelligence, also known as first phase reporting. This is a quick turnaround of oftentimes time-sensitive intelligence reporting. And what it does is it actually supports all of the uh, security mitigation that we're seeing go into place right now around the Capitol. So, um, you know, these threats right now should not be taken lightly whatsoever. Uh, even though the event organizers have called for a peaceful, nonviolent um, event, and DHS and law enforcement actually hasn't uh, specifically called out what any, if any, direct threats uh, have been uh, presented or seen, we still have to take this event very seriously from a security standpoint. Um, and you know, put law enforcement and all of their mitigation in place in advance 
um, because we saw what the consequences were when we were not prepared on January 6th. Right. So now clearly law enforcement uh, doesn't want to make that same mistake. You have Capitol Police making requests to the Department of Defense for assistance from the D.C. National Guard. And CNN has learned that D.C. police will be fully activated for additional coverage as well. Could the fact that there's going to be so much law enforcement um, attending to this event create its own set of issues? Well, listen, what it, 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 there's a couple dynamics here. You know, what we're at risk of is what, what I refer to as the protection paradox. And that's the risk that we undertake this significant amount of effort to you know, build up a security structure. We deploy the resources. We incur a significant amount of expense, and then nothing happens. But that's okay. And here's why. We have to take these protective measures uh, because we know that we have an unmitigated threat out there. It may not manifest itself on on Saturday, but we have to have this show of force. We have to understand that law enforcement since January 6th is no longer assessing uh, the likelihood that any group, that these types of groups, these far-right groups, will engage in acts of violence. We know that they will. We saw it. There's video of it. So we have to be prepared for that. And if we're over-prepared and nothing happens, that is okay. We have to send the signal that we're, we're, we're going to stand by our law enforcement, uh, our intelligence, and you know, protect these critical assets, no All matter right. what. Jonathan Wackrow, thank you so much. And while the thank President you. Trump, former President Trump, I should say, backs the insurrectionist, Republican leadership has yet to condemn this upcoming rally. We're going to talk about that in politics next. Welcome back. Topping our politics lead. Anxiety is growing on Capitol Hill today as former President Trump endorses Saturday's right-wing rally in support of the insurrectionists who attacked the Capitol on January 6th. Let's discuss all of this with our panel. And Ramesh, I'm going to start with you, Ramesh Panuru. I guess it's no surprise, right, that, that uh, former President Trump is coming out with this statement to, again, put out his big lie. But, you know, you have no sitting member of Congress who is going to be attending this rally as of now. And in this statement, you have the former president saying, our hearts and minds are with the people being persecuted so unfairly relating to the January 6th protests concerning the rigged presidential election. Obviously, again, the election wasn't rigged. But will his nod of approval change attendance, you think? I think that most Republican congressmen are going to want to steer clear of this. You know, obviously there are different camps among the Republicans about how they feel about President Trump, but a pretty large contingent of them understand that this sort of thing is not helpful to them as a party, but they don't want to take him on. So it's just as they their basic attitude towards Trump is wishing he'd go away, not wanting to do anything themselves to do to, to make that happen. That's the way they're treating this rally. Which well. could be part of the reason why you don't have anyone in Republican leadership condemning this yeah. uh, rally yet. But how much of a political liability is it for the GOP, Chris? So there's a scene in The Simpsons where Homer Simpson goes back to college. I'll get there. He goes back to college <laughs> and he has an exam that he hasn't studied for. And his plan is, well, I'll just hide under this pile of coats and it'll all work out. Yeah. That, that's basically the Republican leadership. Like, we're going to pretend, to Ramesh's point... I'm going to pretend nothing's happened. Saturday, I haven't heard. I yeah. don't, I'm not fully briefed on that. I don't, I mean, so, that, you know, that's what they're doing here. And the reason is exactly what Ramesh said, because of course they think this is a bad idea. I, I, 
they know, they've seen the people who spoke at the January 6th uh, Stop the Steal rally and Mo Brooks's of the world and how they've come under fire for that. At the same time, they are deathly afraid of Donald Trump. They just are. They don't want a, I was going to say a tweet that doesn't exist anymore for him, but a statement from his, basically the same thing, a statement from his uh, leadership pack that says, fill in the blank member of Congress is a, is a terrible rhino for not backing this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's keep your head as low as possible, hide under the coats, hope no one notices, and hope Sunday comes and we are talking about something else. Which is what makes Which the isn't role leadership, of journalists by the way, that much more but, important to press them on uh, right. on this and what they actually think about it. What are Where are the Mitch McConnells of the world right now? What are they saying? Well, it is striking and also not striking at all just how <laughs> quiet these Republican officials who do have a voice in the party have been about this event coming up on Saturday. But at the same time, I'm reminded of why, and, and, and we've touched on this point earlier, but it, I'm reminded of why they are uh, they are behaving this way and not condemning this rally, not forcefully condemning the insurrection. And it's because of Donald Trump's continuing influence on the party. And there was a, one of the many striking revelations from uh, my colleagues at The Washington Post, uh, Bob Woodward and Bob Costa, their book that's coming out soon. Uh, there was one anecdote in there that said, uh, pre- then President Trump got so angry at Kevin McCarthy when mm-hmm. McCarthy, in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th insurrection, said Donald Trump did bear some responsibility for what happened at the Capitol. And that just set off the former president. You've seen Kevin McCarthy make furious amends since because they believe that he is one of the ways that they're going to win back their majority and they can't afford to make him angry. But they're kind of competing with these political imperatives, but also not quite, you know, they also have kind of a moral imperative here to condemn what is going on in their own party. The moral imperative. Where Where is the moral imperative? That is the question. You do have, I should note, um, Republicans like Adam Kinzinger, who have been very outspoken against, for example, the January 6th uh, rioters. He's, of course, one of the two Republicans on the January 6th Select Committee. Let's listen to what he had to say. This overthrows the government fetish that exists. I don't understand it, except there's a lot of bored people out there that probably never served a day in their life in the military and get to go and play dress up. <laughs> so, Ashley Allison, what do you think? Do you think there is an overthrow the government fetish, as Adam Kinzinger argues there? Absolutely. There's a delusional fetish. There is just a disconnect with reality. We know Joe Biden won the election. And these folks are showing up because on January 6th, there was a group of people who wanted to overthrow our government and did not believe what actually voters decided to do. And then they're coming back on Saturday to make the point uh, a second time. This is not the first time a rally has a reunion, so to speak. It happened when Charlottesville, um, neo-Nazis, Nazis marched in the street and they came back to unite the right. But the thing that is so disgusting to me is the same Republicans who will not condemn Saturday's attendees or the rally are the same ones blasting the Biden administration about Afghanistan. And when I look at the people who come on Saturday, I draw very close parallels to the Taliban. They are people who don't have respect for democracy. They are people who don't have respect for diverging ideas. And that is what people on January or January 6th did for. And that is what people who will come on Saturday. And if you're Republican and Democrat and you won't condemn, shame on you. And people should take them on in the primary. And Donald Trump, they should not be afraid of Donald Trump. I know it's hard to say, but we have to have some leadership in this Republican Party and stand up or we are going to be in a cycle of this. That's, that's, that's a, I just want to point out that's a very extreme uh, example and to, to 
equate them to the Taliban, obviously very oppressive, violent regime. But, but just, go ahead. I just, even if, if, if you care about the Republican Party, and I want to defer a little to Ramesh on this, but if you care about the <laughs> Republican Party, you should want people to come out and say, this isn't us, this ain't it. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. If the core of the Republican Party going forward, and I mean the base of the Republican Party, is founded on an idea that the 2020 election was stolen, that's, we're not talking about smaller government, less taxes, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what trade should look like, what immigration should look like. I mean, if, that's the, if the basis of the party is a lie, right, going forward, that's the thing that unites them. That core is fundamentally hollow. So you can be afraid of Donald Trump, but in the long run, there's no there there at the center of the party. So you could say I there's no there there, but look at the poll, and I want to get your reaction to this. Um, a new CNN poll found 78% of Republicans believe Biden did not win the 2020 election. You've seen that number creep up since January yeah. to now, mm-hmm. and a constant there is Donald Trump pushing that lie. Well, it's the combination of Trump pushing it and other people not pushing back That's against right. it. Yep. And then it becomes... It's not even a literal belief, but it's a signifier of tribal loyalty. This is how I tell the pollster and through the pollster, everybody, I'm with the Republicans. I'm not with Democrats. I'm not with Joe Biden and so forth. But, you know, I don't think it's just fear that is keeping the Republicans silent. I think there's also a judgment in the case of, say, Senate Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. His view is that Trump thrives on conflict. He's giving him oxygen when you attack him and you're better off ignoring him. It obviously doesn't seem to matter in terms of making Trump happy. Trump still will denounce Mitch McConnell, even though McConnell won't generally say his name. But that's the strategic view that McConnell has. I also do want to underscore, just as someone who, you know, loves the Capitol, spends so much of my time there. I mean, there are so many staffers, reporters, members, Capitol Police officers who are still very much dealing with the trauma of what happened on January 6th. And so for us to kind of have to go through this exercise Mm -hmm. again in preparing for this rally, and the officers have been so wonderful in, you know, making sure that they are on guard on Saturday. It's it's just a very fencing heartbreaking scene. And up. seeing yeah. the fencing so go back right. from the Capitol, right. it's just very an important scene. I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Sungmin. And just you think about the families of those who died by suicide or died, um, you know, from the, the insurrection. It's just, it's just awful. All right, thank you guys so much. A looming meeting could decide whether you'll get a booster shot or not. I'm going to talk to Dr. Sanjay Gupta up next. We are back with our health lead and finally some good news when it comes to controlling the coronavirus pandemic. A CDC forecast now predicts new daily hospitalizations will decline between today and October 11th. It is the first time the CDC has forecasted such a decrease since the end of June, and we welcome that. Joining me now to discuss the CNN chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Great to see you as always, Sanjay. What do you make of the CDC forecast as the U.S finally getting a handle on the Delta variant. What does it mean? Yeah, I mean, it's encouraging for sure. I mean, we've seen cases go down uh, already, you know, to some extent. Um, and we know that the, the, a few weeks behind that, the, the hospitalizations typically go down and then after that, deaths. So even though hospitalizations still, we can show you, are still 
I mean, they're really high still. I mean, that's the thing. We're coming down from a very high peak of 100,000 or so hospitalizations. But if they continue to go down, that would obviously be really, uh, really critically important. We are still averaging about 150,000 cases per day as well. So, you know, that's one of the concerns. Now, I do want to say, you know, we talk about these numbers sort of for the, for the country as a whole. But if you split it up and look uh, at what's been happening in different regions of the country, you do see a more complete picture um, where I am in the south, for example, that's the, the bright orange line at the top, red line. It's been you know, much higher than the Midwest, the West, and the Northeast. There's been some concern as the weather gets cooler and drier that in the Northeast, a place that has been less hit by this, they may have some surges still to come, Pamela. Dr. Gottlieb talked about that, but still probably nothing like what we've seen over the past couple of months. Yeah, that is the question about further surges and the, the fact that is there a chance that if the unvaccinated don't start getting the shot, could this forecast be wrong and hospitalizations keep surging? Yeah, I think that that is the fundamental question. And I would say, I would add to that, uh, how much immunity do we have in the country? So from vaccinations, but also from natural immunity. No one is saying that not, you know, going out and getting infected is a strategy, but there are a lot of people who became infected. Take a look in the UK, what happened. Uh, you know, it was sort of similar. There are a few weeks ahead of us. You saw that spike sort of near the right side of the screen. And then, a, you know, that it came down very quickly after that, but then started to go back up. Um, you know, uh, luckily, hospitalizations have still been low. So cases uh, going up, but the hospitalizations haven't been going up proportionally. But you still got a lot of cases there. You know, they had Freedom Day, July 11th. There was Eurosport. There was all these chances for, for the virus to spread even more. And I think we're seeing the consequences of that. I think the big question, uh, you know, Pamela, as you asked uh, initially, is what is the impact on hospitals? If you see cases go up, but you're not seeing corresponding hospitalizations, that obviously is a, is a better sign. I just want to go back to the natural immunity question, because I still talk to people who say they were infected with COVID. They haven't gotten the vaccine, even though it's recommended uh, that they get the vaccine. But how long does that natural immunity last where we can factor it in to sort of a herd immunity like you were just pointing out? I mean, even if you have to get vaccinated again, does it still go toward herd immunity? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, you can, if you can make sure that your immunity is durable, meaning lasting a long time, that would go towards, you know, the, the broader protection, the herd immunity for the country or the society. I, I, it's, a, it's a really challenging question, in part because of the fact that we have not been testing that much in the country. Like if I were to ask a simple question, how many people in the country, how many people in the United States have had COVID? We cannot answer that question. If I were to ask how many people have antibodies, what percentage of the country have antibodies, you could guess, you could model that, but I don't think we would have a clear-cut answer. So how protected are people who had COVID, for example, at the beginning of the year, how protected are they now? I don't think people know the answer because the testing hasn't been there to verify they still have antibodies or still have levels of protection. I think that's part of the reason you say get vaccinated because at least that's something that's been studied. And I think what a lot of docs tell me that are working in infectious diseases is if you've had COVID, it is worth getting at least one shot of the vaccine. So you got the COVID as your prime, and then the shot of the vaccine would sort of be your boost. Right, because you also don't know when those antibodies will wane, what day that will happen. And so you can't just right. bank on previous infection. All right, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Well, infighting in the Biden administration is apparently leading to frustration and holding up decisions all amid multiple crises. That's next.
In our politics lead, President Biden this afternoon tried again to get middle class voters and congressional Democrats behind his multi-trillion dollar spending plans. But as CNN's Jeff Zelny reports, he has to overcome everything from squabbling moderates and progressives to a rapper spreading vaccine misinformation to millions of her fans. President Biden making an aggressive push for his economic agenda. Let's not squander this moment. Pressuring Democrats to resolve their differences to pass a $3.5 trillion plan of the administration's top priorities, from addressing climate change to expanding the nation's social safety net with free preschool, community college, and more. I believe we're at an inflection point in this country. One of those moments where the decisions we're about to make can change, literally change the trajectory of our nation for years and possibly decades to come. Some moderate Democrats are still resisting the scope and cost of the proposal, which the president proposes paying for by raising taxes on the wealthiest Americans. We're going to continue with an economy where the overwhelming share of the benefits go to big corporations and the very wealthy, or are we going to take this moment right now to set this country on a new path? The Biden budget calls for increasing the rate on the top 1% of earners from 37% to 39.6%. Under the plan, the top corporate rate would rise to 26.5% from 21%. The White House is also locked in a battle of misinformation on COVID-19, this time with rapper Nicki Minaj, who has more than 180 million followers on Twitter and Instagram. The singer of Starships and other hits has raised unfounded doubts about the safety of vaccinations. We offered a call uh, with Nicki Minaj uh, and one of our doctors to answer questions she had about the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine. Administration officials told CNN they did not offer Minaj a White House visit like she claimed on Twitter, but sought to downplay any controversy with the star. We don't see this as a point of tension or disagreement. Our hope is that anyone who has a big platform is going to project accurate information. So the White House clearly concerned about the big megaphone from stars like Nicki Minaj. But for the president's point, he took his aim today at Republican governors who are threatening to impose fines on local officials who impose vaccine mandates. The president, Pamela, called that the worst kind of politics. All right, Jeff Zeleny, thank you so much for that. And turning to our politics lead also in fighting in the Biden administration surrounding how to deal with two huge crises, the border surge and the massive influx of Afghan refugees, which sources tell CNN is leading to frustration among top officials at the Department of Homeland Security. Joining us is CNN's Priscilla Alvarez. So tell us what is behind this beef within the Biden administration, Priscilla? This boils down to too many cooks in the kitchen. There's disagreement between different factions of the administration. There's moderates and progressives on the issue of immigration and managing the U.S.-Mexico border. And that leaves little room sometimes for solutions and decisions. Now, a DHS spokesperson told me in a statement that they, quote, encourage candid and fulsome debate. And we pride ourselves in inviting and considering different points of view. But sources tell me it's paralysis and exhaustion as they work through the many challenges that they have on their plate. And you also have, amid all of this, this ruling, this big ruling uh, today by a federal judge stopping a Trump-era policy that the Biden administration extended. This is significant. This is a policy that allowed authorities on the U.S.-Mexico border to turn back 
migrants who they encountered. This is related to the coronavirus pandemic. It was actually put in place in March of last year. Now, what this judge said is that migrant families with children can no longer be subjected to this. Now, the administration had been gradually having, or sorry, including uh, families in this by allowing them into the United States, but still significant as they face an increasing number of migrants at the border. In August, there were over 208,000 migrants encountered. That is slightly down from July when it was 213,000, but still over 200,000. That's significant. And some of these migrants are repeat crossers. But as we're seeing on the border, this is still uh, pressing for the administration. And with those numbers, you have Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott shutting down six points of entry along the southern border. Can he do that? We've asked U.S. Customs and Border Protection if they ask for assistance, if this is something that the governor could do. We have not yet received a response. But the port of entry is not where these migrants are coming through. They're coming through in between the ports of entry. They're crossing illegally. And so it doesn't quite solve the problem to do that. And that's where the CBP says they are increasing manpower and working with DHS and local agencies to try to get a handle of the situation. All right, Priscilla Alvarez, thanks for bringing us the latest there at DHS. Meantime, the first space crew entirely made up of tourists now orbiting Earth. We have got an update on their mission up next. world lead, we just got word from SpaceX that the very first all-tourist, no-astronaut crew orbiting Earth as we speak is doing well. They are, quote, healthy, happy, and resting comfortably. Before getting some shut-eye, they rocketed around Earth five and a half times. That lucky crew of four includes a physician's assistant, a billionaire, a community college teacher, and a Lockheed Martin employee. And here's a live look at where they are right now traveling over the North Atlantic, a lofty 575 kilometers or about 360 miles above the planet. That's higher than the Hubble telescope and the International Space Station. And check out their stellar view from the top of their ship dubbed the Dragon, which they got to soak in for another two days before splashing back down to Earth. Pretty incredible. I'm Pamela Brown, and for Jake Tapper, you can follow me on Twitter at PamelaBrownCNN or tweet the show at The Lead CNN. And our coverage on CNN continues right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.